The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. You are watching the Orange and Black Insider and listening to the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. One of two ways, I guess, watching or listening. Welcome to the program. I am Anthony Cazenza. Happy to have you joining us on our Bengals podcast. It is the Wednesday deep dive show with myself, Anthony Cazenza. John Sheeran, how you doing, buddy? Uh, happy hump day to you. Yeah, I'm still contemplating if watching four hours of scoreless reds baseball was worth it it was the first baseball game i've watched entirely since opening day and yeah i think i'm like 37 years old now after being 24 when i woke up this morning (laughs) but gosh between sunday and wednesday for cincinnati sports good lord uh just can't get a result you want just beg and plead and it's ties and heartbreaking losses and uh, i don't i don't uh i don't Envy Cincinnati. I, I'm not a big Reds guy myself. I loved Pete Rose, but um, I do kind of keep an eye on him a little bit. You're, you're an Angels fan, though, right? A little bit. Yeah. yeah. I, mean, a little uh, bit. I, I, I'm, I, I, I like the sport of baseball, but I don't really have like a – I'm not intense on a team. I think that team is going to sign a future Cy Young winner pretty soon named Trevor Bauer. But, yeah, it's 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 been a week, but a week where my co-host I – didn't, I didn't – I didn't say happy birthday last week, so I want to say that on the air now. Happy belated birthday. What what, what did you do on your birthday last week? Well, thank you. Uh, I didn't really want to promote it because, God, I'm, I'm getting old. Uh, you know, I, just a lot of family time. A lot of family time, you know, unfortunately, you know, just we're still kind of trying to be a little mellow with getting together with huge groups and everything. But, um, you know, did kind of a, a family barbecue, a little bit of work, a little bit of fun, and then... Uh, kind of parlayed that into watching the game on Sunday, which I was hoping I'd get a good uh, birthday present from the Bengals, but they kind of gave me a half present this week. But I appreciate the well wishes, man. Um, I won't tell you how old I am because it's it's too old. Oh, it's for me to know and the audience to know. Right? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Well, we've got a lot on tap tonight. Thanks, everybody, for joining us. If you're joining us live either on YouTube or Cincy Jungle's Facebook page, or if you are listening to the program after the fact, if you're able to try and get to us on the live recording, please please join us. We have some fun and we try and interact with you all, whether it's on this show, the listener questions live show that we do almost every Friday, the post-game show, or the pre-game show that we've kicked off before every week 
every regular season game for the Cincinnati Bengals presented by Narragansett Beer. John, myself, and Matt Minnick do that one, and it's it's been fun. It's been fun. So join us for any amount of live broadcast that you can. Download uh, the program if you're able on any really major audio streaming platform. We're on all of them. So we've got a lot on tap to get to tonight. We're going to talk and break down the tie, the 23-23 tie against the Philadelphia Eagles and the Cincinnati Bengals. Um, we're going to do kind of what we've been doing the first couple of weeks, encouraged, discouraged. We're also going to add in another little fun game with that. We've got a quote of the week or a soundbite of the week, I guess. It's not really a true audio soundbite. You'll see what I mean in a little bit. And then, of course, we've got a stat of the week, and then we will be previewing the game against the Jaguars. So a uh, lot to get to. So it's been a – I guess we should just get right to it, John. The, the Cincinnati Bengals, they tied. Um, <laughs> and – I guess let me just ask you a real quick question. I put this to the audience on the post game show. Do you do you feel more like a tie, especially in this scenario? Is it more? Does it feel more like a loss to you, or does it just feel because they're on the road? Maybe they weren't expected to win. Maybe it's kind of a pleasant surprise. I mean, how, how, what's your kind of immediate gut reaction when you watch five quarters of NFL football without a true result? It's because. Uh, uh, <laughs> The Bengals were the better team on Sunday. I think people yeah. can objectively say that. They were the better team on offense. They created more turnovers. They had average more expected points per play. Like they were the better team and usually the the team with better numbers in those categories ends up on top. So when you have a result like this, it feels like a loss, but at the same time in overtime when the game was supposed to be decided, the Eagles had the best chance to win the game and they blew it themselves, just like the Bengals blew it towards the end of the game when they gave up the tying touchdown to Carson Wentz and all that. So it feels like a loss because the Bengals were the better team, and usually the better team wins in a situation like that. But when it mattered the most, the Eagles made the best play or the most important play to get themselves into overtime, and in overtime, they were in the best chance to win. So to them, I, I bet it feels like a, a definite loss to them as well. So both but more lost from the Bengals side, I guess. I'm just putting up a couple of entertaining comments here from our live chats in the Facebook and YouTube channels. Mike Holbrook says, like, kissing your sister, referring to what it feels like to tie. And Timothy Greg Lacey Jr., anything but a win uh, is a loss. And that is the quote, actually, or something similar to it, that Joe Burrow used uh, post-game when talking about this result. John... I Look, I guess we can kind of go into encouraged, discouraged. Um, Joe Burrow, I believe it's self-explanatory. I, I think we can both say encouraged based on what we saw, even without that magician-like pass that he made in the second half being called back. Second straight 300-yard game, two touchdowns, no interceptions, distributed the ball around, no turnovers, and sacked eight times yet uh you know just a, a pretty pretty solid performance from their rookie quarterback set an NFL record by a rookie for completions through the first three games as well so I I am definitely encouraged I continue to be encouraged by what I've seen by Joe Burrow I assume that you feel the same way about him it was his best game of the year from an efficiency standpoint from a decision making standpoint there weren't a lot of bad decisions that he made and that's partly why his pro football focus grade of like 86 or 85 was fifth highest in the league in week three. So it was encouraging. However, like there's still some things that 
they're just leaving some points on the board. And that was the case a little bit against the Chargers in week one. It happened a little bit against the Browns. And there were just a couple of throws that if Burrow makes, you know, the, the game might go a little bit differently. And it's hard to put that on him because everything else is being put on him. He's got the second worst running game in the NFL right now. He's got probably the worst offensive line in the NFL right now. So to, to put some any form of criticism on Burrow right now may, might sound blasphemous, but there are some throws that I think he should have made in this game. Two of them to T. Higgins, to be specific, down the field. He's still one of 16 on throws 20 yards down the field, and not all of those yeah. attempts are with pressure in his face and how the pressure is altering him. So like it's encouraging because he still had a really good game, and I think he earned that PFF grade. And he played like the better quarterback on Sunday, but there are still things that he needs to do. And unfortunately, like he like those plays need to happen because for, for the most part, this offense is just getting the ball up pretty quickly. It's a lot of half field um, one play reads or one wide receiver reads, which is good in, t- in terms of keeping the offense moving. But when you have a lot of these negative plays in the run game and also with him taking a lot of sacks because the offense line is that bad, like you need to hit on those big plays. You need him to make those throws that he made at LSU. And right now, He's just not connecting that that he's just not connecting very much or at all really. Only one throw over twenty yards has been completed so far in three weeks. So he has to hit those throws to negate and counter all the negative plays that are happening that are really outside of his control. So encouraging, but they still need to hit on those plays. Let's move to the wide receiver group on encouraged or discouraged. Again, kind of a mixed bag performance here. Tyler Boyd, 10 catches, 125 yards. T. Higgins, the two touchdown catches and a couple of other nice grabs. Uh, Giovanni Bernard having the longest play uh, from scrimmage in a in a pass from is like a little nice little slant route across the middle that he took for 42 yards. Um, you know, good ball dispersal, especially without C.J. Uzama out there. But you've got A.J. Green kind of still kind of being a little bit of a non-factor. Um, this time, the opportunities weren't there. There were a couple of opportunities that A.J. Green gave Joe Burrow the first two games. He didn't really give Joe Burrow much of an opportunity there. And uh, Darius Slay really locked him up throughout most of the game. So that's an issue. I see someone else talking here, uh, Brandon Allen Penrod, saying T. Higgins dropped it. I assume that means that deep ball that Burrow floated to him at the end of the game there. Uh, you know, so I, I guess, are you encouraged, discouraged, a little bit of both by the, by what you saw from the wide receiver group or I guess the pass catching group this week? So Green didn't have a, a great game, but I mean, Tyler Boyd really did. And T Higgins, I think, showed a lot of progress here with, with his two touchdowns. But also there was this one like 16 yard deep comeback where Burrow and Higgins were on the same page in terms of timing and in terms of like when when he released it off of his break. So that was encouraging to see. I think it was pretty evident that Higgins established himself as the starter in week two because he did start that game over John Ross. And now with Ross inactive, like it was just full-blown, get out there, Higgins, do what you can. And he had like nine targets and hauled in five of them for 40 yards. And people are, and yeah, yeah, Brandon Allen, Penrod in, in the comment section saying T Higgins dropped it. Both of those throws to T Higgins, like Higgins stacked the cornerback on those vertical routes. And unfortunately, Burrow missed it by about two or three yards down the field where if he had led Higgins, then there's no way either cornerback on those plays are going to make a play on the ball and knock the ball at Higgins' hands. Higgins had to adjust both times and the cornerback had the opportunity to make a play on it. So that's the reason why those plays didn't work out is on Burrow more than Higgins. But I mean, Boyd had a great game. He had a good matchup against Nicole Ro- Roby Coleman in the slide and they connected numerous times on very similar route concepts and most of Burrow's best throws went to Boyd's way. So all those, all that talk about Boyd being 
the, the true number one receiver in this offense is taking shape in week three. And yeah, with AJ Green, I don't think I don't think he necessarily had a, had a bad game. He didn't he didn't show, I guess, the rust or the age that we very much saw in week two, but he just wasn't as as involved in the offensive game plan and just the passing game as much as he was in the first two weeks. And overall, the offense was a little bit more efficient because they weren't forcing the ball his way. And Darius Slay had a great game. Like he had, a, a, he, like you said, he smothered green for a lot of his routes down the field. So it, it's encouraging that, you know, even without John Ross, like the offense was still able to put to, you know, stretch the Eagle secondary vertically without that speed threat. And Nod and Tate had a couple of good plays. I think they forced the ball to Tate in the end zone a couple of times where it, it just, just wasn't the, the, the coverage just, just was just too good. And, and they were just basically bad plays in general, but he had that one um, play on the sideline where Burrow scrambled out of the pocket and Tate uh, found him and kept in bounds and made like a 19-yard grab. So definitely encouraging from the receivers and overall, even without Ross and without Green having a good game. Yeah, there are a couple of different plays that you think that, like you said, a couple of different plays that were left out there, right? The, the great play that Burrow made avoiding the sack and, and tossing a dime to Higgins on the sideline. Unfortunately, you know, the penalty called that back and – you wish that that play would have would have been would have stood because that would have kept that drive moving and it maybe would have caused a different result in the game altogether, um, especially with momentum given there. But you know, Higgins being a rookie, Burrow being a rookie, we know about the lack of a true preseason, lack of rapport potentially being built because of that, and you're still seeing some high production, two straight 300 yard passing games from Burrow again. Um, five touchdown passes overall and only one interception on the year. So I think overall, even with the the issue on the deep ball that, that you mentioned, the issue that caused T Higgins to go out of bounds and maybe some dry spells from AJ green. I, I think, I think I would be encouraged by what I saw from the pass catching group and, and their ability to work with Joe Burrow on that front. Let's, let's move to the defense. Uh, I just, I can't figure this group out, man. I can't, I, I cannot figure this group out. Uh, they're, they're, I think ranked or they were at, into last week ranked six or seventh against the pass. They're doing pretty well against the pass. William Jackson's having a, a great season overall, but had an egregious pass interference penalty on the, on the final drive of regulation as did Darius Phillips, John two pass interference penalties, netting 28 yards in a span of three total plays on the final drive of the game. It's like, what? Uh, so you have that. You have uh, kind of some inconsistencies on the pass rush, though this week they went after an Eagles battered line and got to Carson Wentz. Still had a couple of sacks go through their grasp. Had a forced fumble from on a Carl Lawson sack that they didn't corral. So not perfect and a lot of glaring issues, but at the same time, the Bengals offense only got three points off of the two t- turnovers that the Bengals defense gave them. Mm-hmm. And it should be noted that a lot of a lot of backups for Philadelphia played significant snaps this game. They were down Dallas Goddard, who's now an IR at, at, at tight end. Uh, they had to, they had to play John Hightower wide receiver because Deshaun Jackson left the game. Um, they, they they barely had any receivers in this game to begin with, and they were down like two or three projected starting offense linemen in this game. And like a guy named Matt Pri- Matt Pryor started at right guard for them, and he had a pass blocking grade of eighty nine point two. Like Carl Lawson is is their entire pass rush right now, and he had a good game against Jason Peters for the most part. But Carl's done that 
Sam Hubbard, Mike Daniels, these, these guys are just not getting home and they're not affecting the passing game in any way, shape, or form. Not even DJ Reader, who I think had a pretty good pass rushing season last year. He just hasn't made that impact as a pass rusher yet. So it, it's it was a battered Eagles offensive line, but Lane Johnson, Jason Kelly, like like, like they're still good players, but they had matchups that they could exploit up there and they didn't. And Carson Wentz, he had all the time to make the throws he needs to make. Unfortunately for him, he's just not playing well at all right now. But there was improvement from the linebacking core. I think Jermaine Pratt and Josh Bynes played much better in space. You had a bat, big bounce back game from Logan Wilson, who not yeah. only had an interception, but played really well in the run game, which is improvement on what he did last week against the Browns. And like you said, like William Jackson, Darius Phillips played well for most of the game, but you know, two minute defense in both at the end of both halves and at the end of the first half, the end of the second half and the end of the first half, unfortunately they had that Randy Bullock kick that went out of bounds and the Eagles started at the 40 yard line. But then, you know, they they play soft zone Eagles drive up the field a little bit and they had the miscommunication on Mackenzie Alexander's deep zone and that, that allowed the touchdown. And then you had, like you said, you had those two pass interference plays that completely changed the course and got the Eagles in scoring position for Carson Wentz to run it in. So for the most part, they played really well, but it was against an offense that they should have played really well because that quarterback again is not playing well and they had a lot of injuries to deal with. So the Bengals had the talent advantage at basically all three levels and played decently enough. But again, it's relative to the competition that they faced. They should have played as well as they did. And when it mattered the most though, they unfortunately came up short. I'm just doing a little promo for you, buddy. Uh, John (laughs) Sheeran put up the Bengals weekly lineman on cincyjungle.com. Great write-up. And it does uh, pump up Carl Lawson, who ate future Hall of Fame tackle Jason Peters lunch on Sunday. I mean, he just gave him all kinds of fits. So, uh, you know, you could could chalk that up to Carl Lawson having one of his patented streaks that that he goes on, or Jason Peters finally being caught up with by father time or both. Uh, but anyway, I want to urge folks to check out this post by my co-host here. Uh, it's a good post on cincyjungle.com. But you mentioned though, John, I mean, they got the two turnovers, could have had one or two more. They had three sacks, probably should have had at least two more. Um, it, it's just, it's it's a lot of yeah, but with the defense. It's a It's just... And they're not coming up in the key situations. And one of the things that frustrates me, and I guess this is where we're going to go next uh, in terms of encouraged or discouraged from week one. Uh, one of the things that frustrated me, and I've said this a couple times to some folks this week, but when one facet of the team ends up doing something well or making a big play, a la DJ Reader and Logan Wilson combining for an interception, they give the Bengals offense the ball at their own 44, great field position. They go three plays, eight yards, and punt the ball from the Eagles' 48-yard line. You then score a touchdown to get your first lead of the game, 10-6, to late in the second quarter. Ensuing kickoff, Randy Bullock kicks it right out of bounds, gives the ball to the Eagles at their own 40-yard line. They drive down and score. Bengals get a big three points at the end of the game, and have a touchdown lead with three minutes left to play. They have those two pass interference penalties and allow the Eagles to march down the field. And so I think where you kind of want to immediately point to from big picture standpoint would be the coaching staff. So let's talk about that in terms of encouraged or discouraged, because we could talk about the offensive line and if we're encouraged or discouraged, John, but I think there's not much to be encouraged with there. (laughs) And I think that could be kind of packaged into this current conversation. Look, The Bengals didn't lose this week. 
They scored 23 points, the second most they've scored all season. Um, they were in a game, you know, all, all, they're, they're kind of the moral victories there, but they're 0-2-1. The offensive line is a mess. Like I said, the clutch plays are not being made, and one phase of the team is letting down another phase that creates a play. Is there even mixed emotions here, or is it all discouragement from the coaching staff of the Cincinnati Bengals right now? Zach Taylor's taking a lot of heat and deservedly so. He's two he's two sixteen and one in his career. I don't think he called as bad of a game as a lot of people think that he did. When we, when we watched the game, like there were definitely moments where we're like, what the hell is this dude doing? On multiple occasions, he threw short. He asked Burr throw short of the sticks on third down conversion attempts, and you know, like 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 we like we watched. Like there there was times where Drew Sample was in. Uh, pass blocking against Brandon Graham on the edge, and that ended up in, in one of Burrow's eight sacks. Yep. There were just a lot of questionable things that we saw in that game. I don't think when watching back through it, it was as bad as we think that it was. Um, I, I overviewed a couple of those third-down conversions or attempts that both targeted A.J. Green on these mesh concepts where they had rub routes over the middle of the field, and the, the design was fine. The execution in terms of creating that separation for Green, that was where it was off, and that's kind of like the whole genesis of what it is right now which is what you're alluding to where if you have good plays from one unit and then bad plays from the next it's like like there's potential for both sides of the ball to play up to whatever their potential level of talent is but it doesn't always happen that way because at the end of the day this is the team that's still growing together this is the team that still has a lot of deficiencies in a lot of places and when you play on Sundays sometimes you just don't play up to your level and right now I think it's it's almost equally a lack of execution and a lack of proper coaching. We can get into the offensive line all we want in a couple of minutes here, but I don't think Taylor called that bad of a game, but there were definitely, there were definitely some obvious miscues that it just shouldn't happen at this point because all the excuses from last year about how he, you know, he rushed to hire the staff and he, he didn't like had some injuries thrown his way and everything was all, all haywire. Now this is year two. And at this point, the issues that you're seeing, they can't be just chalked up to this. This staff is still new. No, this is the second year in the system. They have all of their guys and some of these clerical issues that we're seeing still like they, they can't continue to happen. Not when you have a game where you can easily win going up against a lesser team when the other quarterback is blowing it in front of you. The Bengals started the game with four straight punts, John. Uh, they ended the game with three punts and that draw play in overtime. I got. I, I guess my and some people. By the way, I, I got an f bomb thrown my way from a follower on Twitter uh, by calling this out. But look, he didn't go for it in the first, the the second drive of the game after the Bengals got the interception and they're sitting at the Eagles' forty-eight yard line. I think it's fourth and two. Didn't go for it there. Okay. End of regulation. You kneel down. Okay. End of the game, you call a draw play and you just take the tie. I understand you're backed up against your own end zone there and there's not a lot of time, but those are three plays. I I know the other the other side of the argument, but it looked like it, you're playing for the tie, especially in some of those latter two moments, and that's where I kind of have the problem. Yeah, like, and you can say that for both coaches too, because there's no there's no excuse right. why Doug Peterson should have punted that ball right, away. Right, 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 and right. So, so Zach kind of can take solace to the fact that the other coach screwed up first, but also we're getting we're getting comments in the comment section that also, that you absolutely have to agree with. Like right now, they're second in the league in terms of run rate on second and long and plays that are second and eight or, or more. Like they're running the ball too much there. Like they can't run the ball in general, 
but and I know and the whole logic about and Zach Taylor mentioned this in this press conference. The whole logic about it is that you try to create a more manageable third down um conversion attempt where it's like third and medium or maybe even third and short, or maybe you convert the first down on the ground when you're this bad at running the ball and you just don't have the personnel up front to gain movement on basically any scheme and concept that you that you design, it, it, it just hurts you more than just trying to just trying to get yards to the air. When you're on when you're in second and long, it's already a bad idea to run the ball. They're running the ball way too much on second long. This was a problem in week one. This was a problem week two. It became a problem in week three again. Like I, I know that you want to use Joe Mixon as much as possible. You just gave him a contract. He's an athletic freak. He's talented, all that. It's fine. When you're having negative plays or just no, no progress plays on the first down, you can't just keep feeding Joe Mixon yeah. for the sake of feeding Joe Mixon when you don't have the personnel to do it. Yep. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity, but giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. So do we want to go to the quote-unquote soundbite of the week, or do we want to go to the either-or portion first? What do you think makes more sense? Let's, let's just go to the soundbite. Okay, well, it's not really a true soundbite. Uh, usually we have an audio thing to share. We just kind of have the quote itself. So I guess it's more of a quote of the week rather than a soundbite of the week. But this is courtesy of Ben Baby, friend of the program, who helped us preview week one a couple of weeks ago. But uh, the Bengals media members met with Jim Turner and he gave a couple of quotes. Uh, this one is probably the jewel of them all, John. Jim Turner on Bobby Hart. I think that out of all of my players... Bobby is the most underappreciated player and most picked on player. Uh, the last part of that statement is just, it's unbelievable how much foot he put in his mouth on that one. But the other part, John, just in general, from an X's and O's standpoint, Bobby Hart, per all kinds of metrics, leads the NFL and pressures given up through three games with 15. The Bengals, via football outsiders, Joe Burrow's sack rate on dropbacks is close to, I think it's 10.6%, so it's close to 11%. Um, so, I mean, that's our that's our quote of the week. <laughs> it's a little, I guess it's a little, uh, I mean, if you want to extrapolate on that, go for it before we kind of do the either or, but I mean, it, it kind of speaks volumes for itself. I wonder if Bobby Hart is more picked on than Jonathan Martin was back in Miami. <laughs> I think Jim Turner might know a few things about that. Um, yeah, but, he, but he did say my player. I don't know if Billy Price is considered his player because Billy Price was drafted before Jim Turner, and Jim, and Jim Turner didn't give him any starting job when, when he was hired. He was actually benched for 
uh, Trey Hopkins at center last year, and he hasn't started the game at right guard this year. But I think Billy Price actually played a worse game than Bobby Hart in this one. And, yep. and in, in Turner's defense, I guess, a little bit, there are some positive plays from Bobby Hart. He's not playing terrible every single snap, but that's the really, really low bar for a starting right tackle in the NFL. Like a, the right tackle position is, is incredibly important. It's equally as important as your left tackle. And they invested invested a lot in get, getting the left tackle position right by spending the first round pick on Jonah Williams. The product that Bobby Hart is giving right now is just not good enough. It has never been good enough from the moment that he first started for the team back in 2018. And he's gotten a tiny bit better, but the bar is quite literally so low that he, if he's barely accomplishing it, and that's the standard that Turner is going off of, he, he's he's just propping up his guys to prop up his guys. I don't expect him to really say anything different because this is just kind of who he is, and he's just a bad evaluator of talent and pretty much a bad coach everywhere he's been. But it's, it, it's still not it's still not a positive to hear. Again, I, I've said this a couple of times, I feel like, but it, it to your point of it's not a an every snap thing with Bobby Hart, but the, the snaps that there is a bad play or he loses – in the trenches, it is a disaster. It ends up in a disastrous play, and it's not just like a miss and oh boy, we dodged a bullet there. Or, oh, miss and oh, you know, it was a three or four yard gain on a run instead of a seven yard gain. It's like a disastrous play. Uh, it's a big penalty. It's a sack given up, that sort of thing. And so that's where he, he really comes under the spotlight. And when you lead the NFL and pressures given up per metrics, uh, I believe it's PFF that that gave that nod to Bobby Hart. I mean, it's hard to really continue to defend uh, a player like that. So let's do that being the quote unquote soundbite. I guess it's more of a quote of the week, but that being the case, let's do a little quick either or and what, and what this game, John is obviously this team has issues. We, some of us may or may not have believed that the team was going to make a run in 2020, be it towards the postseason or at least be pretty competitive. I don't know that we figured that through this stretch, they would be Oh, two and one, maybe thought we'd have a win or maybe even two in there based on how some of these games have played out. But I, let's let's talk about fixes and how to fix this thing quickly and most effectively. Um, and there are a lot of people I, I see here, Andre Eakins, Jim Turner, and Lou, meaning Lou Anarumo, got to go. Um, so we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about this real quick. And and I am not a proponent of publicly calling for people's jobs, by the way. I am not that that guy. Um, I, you know, I've lost jobs myself and it's it's not fun. So I, you know, and, and publicly talking about getting rid of people is, is not a thing. It makes you feel a little icky. But when you're talking about football, that's kind of the nature of the business, unfortunately, John. So let's talk about the offensive line issues. You mentioned right guard being a mess with Billy Price. Fred Johnson gets benched at halftime after playing in the first uh, in the game against Cleveland. Uh, very poorly in that game, gets benched after the first half uh, against the Eagles. Billy Price comes in. The Bengals get some points, move the ball, but then he has two disastrous penalties at the end of the game, and then I think his, his PFF score was very, very low overall as the game wore on. So Offensive line issues, Hart, the right guard spot, um, you know, basically anyone not named Jonah Williams and Trey Hopkins are having are having pro- consistency problems. Is the issue, is, is the best remedy going forward to sell, help salvage 2020, is it get rid of Jim Turner or is it let's try and plug and play it, let's wait for Xavier Suofilo, the guy who supposedly is a good fit on this offensive line, let's wait for him to get back and get healthy, or let's take a look at Hakeem Adeniji at one of these right tackle, right guard spots. 
I just don't think he's going to get fired. And I, don't you know, I know that I, I know that was I, I know that wasn't the question, but even like after the season, I just don't think he's going to get fired. I, I think there's just too much history with him and Zach. They're they're essentially family members. Like it, it's it's a whole family tree with 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 Mike Sherman, and that's the reason why he was brought into the first place. He had zero qualifications aside from the fact that he was a Marine, and we just glorify the troops regardless of who, who they are as actual people. But like that's the reason why Jim Turner came here in the first place, and I think relative to the expectations that Zach Taylor had for him, he's a, he's accomplishing it. It's like Jim Turner's expectations for Bobby Hart. It's all relative to what the baseline is. So, I, so I mean, they, they have to try as many people as possible in ter- at, at these spots. Like right now, I think Turner said that Adenogy is the backup right tackle. So I guess they have no interest in playing him at guard, even though he played at guard at the senior bowl when they were down there watching him. And they've always been high on Adenogy even before the senior bowl. And they saw him play pretty, pretty decently there. So, that, that would be my solution. I think they should try Adenogy at right guard and try Fred Johnson at right tackle. I think Johnson mm-hmm. would just fare better at tackle. I think he's just not more naturally built for there. And if they want to try hard at right guard to alleviate some of his pass protection issues, I think someone in the comments section actually suggested that. I, that would be int- I would be interested in that. But right now, you, you can't roll out Billy Price at right guard again. You probably can't roll out Fred Johnson again. Like He was benched after the first half because he, he was the guy responsible for giving up that sack at the end of the first half, despite having a, a decently okay first half, but it just was it's just not good enough. It's not good enough going against teams like the Eagles to have multiple guys at defensive tackle that can push the pocket against you. They can't roll out Billy Price. They can't roll out Alex Radman either. Like they're probably gonna elevate him from the practice squad this week and maybe he gets a chance sometime in, in this week four game against the Jaguars if whoever starts ahead of him has has another struggling game. But like they need they need to just roll as many options as possible because as, as much as I think we would all like Jim Turner to be fired you know, secretly without actually saying it, um, I just don't think much is going to change because they're just going to promote Ben Martin, the assistant office line coach who was hired when Turner was here. And I think it has the same core principles in terms of coaching style and coaching ability. So I'm not sure much is going to really improve. I just want to see all the options exhausted before we get to that point. Uh, side note, if you uh, earlier this summer, our own Matt Minnick had an interview with Ben Martin, and uh, I, I came away impressed with with that guy's intelligence in terms of uh, the game and whatnot. But uh, go back in the archives and check out that interview. It, it's a pretty interesting one. Two two offensive line guys chatting. It's it was it was pretty interesting. But I, I tend to agree with you there. Now, what what do you think, John, is a better solution? Continuing on the offensive line, either or, bring in a street free agent. Of some kind, our good friend James Rapine in the All Bengals Sports Illustrated site laid out a couple of nice options or potentially Band-Aid type of options for the offensive line. Or somehow change up the scheme like they did late in 2018, late in 2019, whatever that formula is, and try and recreate what you've done the last half of the past two seasons. Like what? What? What scheme in terms of pass protection is going to make it better? Like, there's there's only so much that you can go in terms of hiding your offensive line. They right. they did that in this game against the Eagles. There was a there's a few plays where you motioned where they motioned Auden Tate across the formation, but he stayed in the formation to help pass protect. They had Drew Sample helping on pass protection a lot, and just having seven eight guys in pass protection, only three or two receivers going down the field, and it still doesn't matter because at the end of the day, like they can only help so much, and it limits what you can do from a passing standpoint. So I think they've already tried to you know, keep more guys in protection. And I guess that's the scheme alteration that, that you could, that you can have here, but there's only so much in terms of just coaching pass protection and schematically that 
can actually help you and, and change things. Because at the end of the day, most of these are just one-on-one situations, and it's just it's just bad technique from starting or just NFL rostered NFL guys like Billy Price and Bobby Hart getting beat off the snap like one and a half seconds into the rep and allowing a free rusher right into Burr's lap. Like that, that's just stuff that can't happen. It's it, it's stuff that shouldn't happen for guys who are playing significant snaps in the NFL, regardless of the level of competition. There's just only so much that you can that you can do from a schematic standpoint. And it just comes down to just bad coaching at this point. Like these these guys are just experienced and tenured NFL veterans, and they're still making these mistakes. So part of it is them just being bad, but also part of it is just the coaching coaches just not getting anything out of them. So th- there was there was a trade scenario that uh, our good friend Andre Parada um, met, mentioned earlier this week about trading for Kevin Zeiler. I would definitely explore that if the Giants are interested in unloading his contract for the next two years. I, 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 yeah, I think a street free agent of any kind, just any new blood to get to inject into this right side of the offense line would, would be better because I just don't know how much more you can do from a schematic standpoint to help these guys out. So let's move on. Uh, by the way, I agree. I mean, it's tough to disagree with, with that. I think it's, I think it's just, a, it's a personnel issue at this point. I mean, you got, you, you got to get more talented players there, whether that's through trade free, free agency, what have you. Um, I mean, your scheme can only, like you said, mask so much, before you know, <laughs> before you got to start looking at, at player evaluation. So let's talk. Let's talk running game. One of the things I thought of is you know, I mean Joe Mixon's a patient runner. He tries to find things. He cuts back a lot. He tries to create. Do you think that it's a play call issue? Because you mentioned, and I agree with you that doing the second and long runs, kind of almost no matter what. Uh, do you think a play call difference? is going to improve that? Or do you think mixing in more carries for Gio Bernard just to kind of mix up the looks a little bit and mix up the runners uh, to kind of maybe put the defense on its heels a little bit? Do you think that helps at all remedy some of the run game issues? Or is it still the offensive line is who it is? <laughs> the the offense, it, it, it is who it is. And I, I think they're doing a decent job of, of using the running backs in the passing game as an extension of the run game because they're like they, they want to minimize how many straight dropbacks Joe Burrow takes because that just minimizes how many times he gets hit. They know that if he goes back 40, 50 times a game, he's going to get hit close to 10 times. And any one of those hits could be the last snap that Joe Burrow plays this year. They like, they know that they don't have the offense line to succeed in, in ways that the Kansas city chiefs do. And which is why they just can't compete this year. Why they were, we're never going to be able to compete this year. So they, I think they have awareness without actually saying it. And I think they still want to do some things in the run game that they wanted to do in the offseason. But like, but like you mentioned, how they adjust the, the, the overall run blocking scheme and the, the running concepts in the middle of the last two seasons, I think that eventually probably happens. And, we, and we're kind of seeing it now against the Eagles. Like There were a lot of just sweeps where you had pulling offensive linemen out, out to the edge, and the Eagles just ate it up. And I think most of them ended up being either negative plays or, or plays for zero yards. So we're already seeing that kind of transition and evolution of the running game. I guess de-evolution considering what the results are. So uh, I, I would pr- I would promote them to continue to try to use the run- running backs in the passing game. And that was like the the most effective play of the entire game was was a very interesting screen design to Giovanni Bernard who ran for like 40 yards. And it, and it was helped by a couple blocks by Stephen Carter and Billy Price who got out in space and created a path for Gio. So they're, they're on the right path. They're not there yet. But again, like they, they can't be running this much on second and long. You just got to put your faith in Burrow. I know that they don't want to, him to get hit as much as he has, but that's the only chance for your offense to succeed. 
Let's let's talk. Just we'll do this for a couple more minutes before we get to the the stats of the week here. Let's talk the AJ Green issue because I know everybody wants to see him get going, and there's been a couple of misses on some open deep plays. There have been uh, there's been a lack of separation by AJ in these first couple of games. So what what do you think? Is it either just give it more time? The guys missed a lot of time. He's you know he missed some time in training camp. Maybe it's a conditioning issue. Or do you think bringing out the speed guy, bringing back out the speed guy in John Ross to command more attention? gives AJ Green a little bit more room and a little more cushion to create these big plays. What's going to what's going to get the big passing plays to get going? You mentioned I think what'd you say one of 16 so far for deep balls mm-hmm. by Burrow? Yeah. Yeah, and I'm not sure if any of them are going to come to AJ Green at this point. Like I, I think that they like Tyler Boyd on some of the deep over routes and they want to continue to use T Higgins's verticality in that in that sense if Again, like those three or those two third down attempts, if they succeeded, AJ Green probably finishes close to like 80 or 90 receiving yards because he had a lot of yards after catch potential on both of those plays. So uh, if a couple of things happen in this season, AJ Green is well over like 150, almost 200 receiving yards. And maybe these questions aren't as prominent as we're getting up to. But if, if, if Green is like the second or third option in the passing game now, I think that's fine. Like, like we knew that Tyler Boyd was going to have an increased role because he's like the new justin jefferson and we and we knew that t higgins was going to emerge as a starter sooner or later and that chemistry with burrow was going to click so if if green is just now adjusting to a more i don't want to say minor role but just not that true dominant x number one guy who's being force fed by Andy dalton i think that's okay because he is on the older side now in, in his career and he might not be as dynamic of an athlete as he was but he can still do things effectively and he still had a decent game despite darius slay playing pretty well but you know when it comes to John Ross, like there's the the only value that the guy had was he created he just had an innate sense of verticality that forced the opposing secondaries to be honest and not you know not play too conservative w- with that because he had that speed to get over the top, but he just can't do anything on the field when the ball's thrown his way, and that's why Auden Tate got the nod here and got like five or six targets in this game and played over him. So. I, I don't know when you put Ross back into the equation. I think he still has more value than Alex Erickson in that sense, where Erickson just has no value as a receiver. But like I, I'm okay with what Green is right now. But like when, when it comes to Ross, there's, there's just only so much more that, that we can expect from him at this point. Right. I don't think Ross is the key there to A.J. Green. And um, I, I think for the most part, I agree with you. I, I, I think I'm a little more patient than most folks are because I, I've seen a couple of plays to A.J. that were there. One big play in the first two weeks. There was a big a big open play against the Chargers that he was wide open. Burrow just missed him. And then there was a play where he kind of had a step or two on a defender against Cleveland down the left sideline. Burrow kind of floated a, a tiny bit out of bounds. AJ made a great effort to try and come down with that ball and just couldn't get the second foot down. So some of the plays have been there. I think to your credit, John, on your Twitter account, that the one bad throw at the end of the game, short of the sticks to AJ, where everyone's going, that's that's your third down play. It looked like there was a missed pick uh, mm-hmm. on that on that pit, on that play. That was a good uh, good breakdown by you there. And so that could have been something where that's a yards after the catch play. But yeah, uh, I, I'm not convinced Ross is the guy really at this point to to open that up. I think just a little more time, maybe a little bit more rapport. I, I'm not a, I'm not the most patient guy, but I'm willing to be a little patient here with AJ Green. 
there's a lot more that we could get to in this either or. This was fun, though. We'll, we'll maybe do this more. Hopefully, I, I don't know. Hopefully, it won't be a continuing thing because the Bengals will be improving. But um, maybe we'll do a little bit more of that. We're going to get to the stat of the week or stats of the week in just a second. My co-host will be uh, sharing some interesting stuff on that. Before we do, just want to remind everybody to get this show on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, Megaphone, iHeartRadio, wherever you get your audio podcast streaming services. Find our channel, Cincy Jungle, where you can get this program. You can get Orange is the New Black with Ace and Zim and Chalk Talk with Matt Minnick. A lot of good stuff being put out by those guys. So check it out and join us live on our YouTube channel or Cincy Jungle's Facebook page every episode. Uh, we'll be we'll be streaming live to you, or of course you can if you if you like the video format more, you can go to those platforms to check it out from there. Yeah, so let's let's get into stat of the week. And since we kind of segued into this topic, talking about the offensive line is kind of where I wanted to go with mine. We all remember that Joe Burrow played at T Higgins that unfortunately didn't count, but it was like. It was it was the Joe Burrow that we saw at LSU, the the guy that creating plays out of, out of nothing, out of structure, and finding guys down the field for stuff that we just couldn't even dream of with Andy Dalton. Unfortunately, that play didn't count, so it was essentially an incomplete pass. There were a couple of missed blocks on that play from Billy Price and, and Bobby Hart, which is why Joe Burrow was forced to scramble out of the pocket. From that play on, that was the middle of the fourth quarter. The Bengals had, I believe, yeah, like sixteen. More drop or 15 more dropbacks, so 16 total dropbacks for Joe Burrow from that point on. And they created a, a total of negative 2.2 expected points added. So, like, on average, like they're losing about 0.15 expected points added per play. They only had four positive plays going forward from that one missed opportunity to T. Higgins because he stepped out of bounds. And from that, because the heart and price both had bad blocks on that play. Like after every game, I, I try to chart very subjectively. I know, but I try to chart essentially every offensive offense rep from every offensive lineman, and just count how many like actually bad reps that they are. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. they don't they don't have to be like bad enough where they negatively impact the play, but just bad technique, bad process, all that stuff. Just just stuff where an offensive line coach would say, "Hey, this needs to be corrected." Price and Hart from that point on combined for 15 bad reps. There was it was just a point where like every, every other play, either Price or Hart was messing up in pass protection, and a lot of those were impactful in terms of getting Burrow pressured or hit as he threw, forced some bad throws from Joe Burrow as well. Like from that point on, Hart and Price were the two were were basically the two players that everybody drags on for good reason. Like they were just terrible. And that doesn't even, and I didn't even count the price false, the 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 holding call on Bailey Price or the false star on him. He had oh. like two flags in this game, and yep. both of them were both of them were, were critical, but they, they were plays that, that just like they didn't count in terms of the actual scorebook. So I didn't I didn't I didn't count them. I only counted the actual plays that did count. And combined, Billy, Billy Price, Bobby Hart, fifteen bad reps. Price at eight, Bobby Hart at seven. Like up up until that point, Bobby Hart was playing pretty decently. And I think that's the film that Jim Turner watched in this game, where he where he thought that that Billy uh, Bobby Hart played okay, but from that point on, like both those both those guys were just terrible, and the offense as a whole was just not good enough. Good stuff, John. By the way, I just wanted to share this. I like the name for I don't know if you saw this from Big Jim Slade in the in the YouTube channel, the Goat G E A U X T. 
referring to to Joe Burrow. I hadn't heard that one before. I like that one. Uh, that may that may need to catch on there. But yeah, good stuff, John, and very in depth, very disheartening statistic that stat of the week that you just shared with us. I'm going to share one, and I'm not going to go too long with it again. I'm going to reference our good buddy Ben Baby here. This is, I think, a stat that a lot of people know by now, but it's something that bears repeating. The Bengals have tied the longest winless streak in one-score games in NFL history with 15. Obviously, that would be 14 losses in one tie now. They've matched the 38-41 to Chicago Cardinals. So that dates back to 2018 and into this year. John, you know... Zach Taylor now is getting this reputation for not being able to close out these types of games. And it's almost, you know, when you predict the Bengals to win, it's almost like, well, you have to predict them by 10 points because if it's anywhere close, (laughs) (laughs) they're not going to win the game. So, you know, I, I understand young coaching staff still, even though 19 games in still a bit inexperienced. I understand the issues of the past two off seasons that this coaching staff has faced. I understand the injuries that this coaching staff has faced. I understand major roster turnover this year, but this has been a plague upon the Bengals for a long time in terms of quote unquote, finding a way to win, grabbing a win out of the jaws of defeat, whatever old adage you want to use. And they still have yet to do it. And this streak now, much of it in under Zach Taylor's watch is a dubious one. And I, I mean, I, it's just kind of, it makes you speechless when you, when you see that stat. It's just wild. Like we're in year two and we're having questions being asked to Zach Taylor. Like, is it just about learning how to win? Because that's literally what it is now. Like we're, we're talking about an NFL coach learning how to win. And I know it could be worse. Like, they could be the Jets. They could have Adam Gase running the, the, the crap show into the ground and whatnot. But it's 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 remarkable to, to witness every single week. Whereas, and I think Matt said it in our pregame show, like, I don't know, I don't know why you guys are predicting one-score games before the Bengals win. Like, they can't do that. Like, like, like you said, they, they have to win by multiple scores in right. order to comfortably win and just hold off, hold off whatever lead that, that they gain. Like, like this was a game that that they should not have lost or should not have lost, and there were many games um, in, in the past couple of years where they were in that same they're in that same spot. Like when they were up a touchdown, like and I, and I tweeted out like this is the first time I remember them having like some comfortable lead in a close game in the fourth quarter. It was the first time since the Bills, even though they they were leading against the Browns and the Jets, but those games were pretty pretty lopsided in the Bengals' favor because of, of reasons that were. Um, independent to that, those specific weeks, but that game against the Bills, like it was pretty, it was heavily contested throughout. It was pretty equal, equally matched, and the Bengals took a lead in the fourth quarter, and they ended up blowing it. And it was the same situation for this. Only the Eagles just couldn't capitalize and and actually win the game. So it it, it is a, it is a factor of just learning how to hold the lead, and learning not to make the critical mistakes that you may be prone to do. So if you are trying to take the lead, it's just a different mindset and one that you would expect like a high school team to have issues going through, not a a team where it's filled with professionals. It's one thing when, you know, you're 
two and or you're one and eleven, and you know you're down by a field goal, and you're driving, and you know this team is injured. You know it's not very good. The quarterback situation's a mess, and they end up you know missing out and lose by three or four points, and the season's already out of control. It's another thing when you have a touchdown lead. You have your new franchise quarterback. You had a big offseason adding all these additions, and you let that lead slip away, and you ended in a tie. Uh, it's it's just inexplicable. And the Bengals, if Zach Taylor wants to keep his job, I think he's safe through this year, by the way. Um, but if he wants to keep this, if he wants to keep his job, he's got to start winning those games because that stat is going to get worse and worse and worse and more popular <laughs> for the wrong reasons as it goes on. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. We're running a little long, John, so let's get to previewing the game against the Jaguars. Uh, I don't – you know, I watched a bit of the Thursday night game, uh, mostly just to see Ryan Fitzpatrick's beautiful postgame outfit. If you didn't get to see that, he he was just unbelievable. But I, I wanted to kind of get a look at the Jags as well, and I came away unimpressed. And last year, I was not impressed with the Jaguars, and they ended up beating the Bengals anyway. Um, Gardner Minshew still their their starting cornerback. What is your kind of mile high view of the Jaguars and opinion of them as they come to Cincinnati this week? Well, they're they're pretty equally rated. Uh, I think they're only like a couple spots ahead of the Bengals on Pro Football Focus's DVOA metric, but it's kind of the opposite. Whereas the Jaguars were pretty really good on offense the first two weeks and they just hit a wall against the Dolphins. I think they they believe that they should have been 2-0 and going into that week. They lost a close game against the Titans and they went into Thursday night thinking that they were going to run the Dolphins off the field and the exact opposite happened when the Dolphins just had a, a great game with Ryan Fitzpatrick at the helm mm-hmm. and Gardner Minshew played bad. Like And, and Gardner Minshew started on that incredible high of completing 19 of 20 passes against the Colts in week one played pretty decently against the Tennessee Titans in a week later and then just hit a wall. And I, unfortunately, like there's a reason why we thought that the Jags were just openly tanking. They were liquidating all the talent that they had. I wasn't aware of anyone else on the defensive line that played for them aside from Josh Allen, the, the, the guy from Kentucky. I don't know a single name and uh, for, for who plays in their secondary right now. And I, yeah, if, if Gardner Minshew doesn't play good, like they have little to no chance of winning a football game. And that's why the Bengals are, I think, a three-point favorite right now, even though they are playing at home. They're playing a team that's only one and two. But um, yeah, like their defense is just terrible. They have Miles Jack. They signed Joe Sherbert, Schobert at linebacker, but yep. he hasn't necessarily been impressive. They just can't really rush the passer aside from Josh Allen. And again, they just don't really have anybody in the secondary that could should threaten anybody in the Bengals wide receiver core or, sh- or shouldn't threaten Joe Burrow as well. Like this is a game where Joe Burrow should continue to build off that game against the Eagles. And I think the offensive line has a chance to just keep Burrow clean for the most part. All they got to do is neutralize Josh Allen. And they're pretty much set. They have guys like, like RB Jones and, and Taven Bryan and just, just guys that just shouldn't 
like this is this is a matchup where the Bengals offensive line can actually look pretty decently because they just have no one to, that can rush the passer at all, even against even against bad offensive linemen. So like this is a game that the Bengals should win. It's a reason there's a reason why they're favored because if Gardner Minshew doesn't play like he did in week one, I just don't see them catching up to the Bengals offense. So this is the latest injury report, and this is on CincyJungle.com as of Wednesday. So there are a couple of pieces of good news and a couple of pieces of not so good news. Um, the good news, you see guys on here like Carlos Dunlap, AJ Green, um, you know, and it's basically just veteran rest day. So, uh, you know, nothing really to worry about there. It would seem, um, you know, you got Darius Phillips out there with a, with a knee issue, which is interesting because he didn't really, I think he played almost every snap, but one last week. So, uh, you know, he, but he's limited. So he did practice Fred Johnson dealing with a wrist injury, but he is full, full go. And then the, uh, the other, the biggest piece of good news, Geno Atkins with the shoulder limited practice, I would assume he plays this week. And this is one of those patented Geno Atkins going up against a lesser offensive line to wreak some havoc. Wouldn't you say? Yeah. And yeah, him being limited today on Wednesdays is good news for him actually right. playing on Sunday. I think he's he was still just going through individual drills, which essentially means he's not ready, um, 100% ready to go and team and essentially be 100% ready to play in the next game. But we're going to find out more about that on Thursday and Friday. Um, it, it should be it should be reminded that, you know, Darius Phillips missed half the year last year with a knee injury. So if this if this is the same knee that's kind of flaring up or giving him some consistent problems, it might linger for the rest of the week and potentially cause him to be out. Um, if if one of Darius Phillips or, Mc, or Mackenzie Alexander is out, I wonder if they play if, like if Phillips plays and Alexander doesn't because he has ribs and hamstring injury. I wonder if Phillips goes into slot cornerback and they start LaShawn Sims at yeah. the boundary corner because Sims was in the game, I think, for Phillips for like a couple plays and he did get an interception against the Eagles. So kudos to him. But I think if one of those guys is out, I think we see Sims take one of those spots. Uh, it's still too early to, to tell and forecast who's going to play and who isn't. But yeah, those are those are notable injuries that, you know, if they both can't play, then that's a, that's the situation where Minshew can utilize guys like LaVishka Chenault and DJ Chark and Keelan Cole and maybe attack this, this secondary down the field if, if they're down one of the two of those guys. Daniel's also getting rest. I know he hasn't shown up on the stat sheet, and I know there's been maybe a, a, a lesser effectiveness on defense with him kind of getting the heavy bulk of snaps, but you got to give him kudos. I think both he and the Bengals coaching staff did not envision him getting as many snaps as he did. Uh, he has over these first three games, and I think you will see once Geno Atkins comes into this game, I think you'll see a much more effective uh, Mike Daniels in this, in this group, but he's only, he's resting. He's been um, having a lot of, a lot more snaps than I think a lot of people envision for him. You mentioned Alexander didn't practice on Wednesday and then Logan Wilson. I don't know what to make of this one because he didn't really leave the game. I don't believe uh, with, concu- with a concussion. And now he's dealing with the symptoms there did not practice on Wednesday. How do you think the Bengals get by without him? Should he not be able to play on Sunday? Because he made a, a couple of, really nice steps in the right direction in this game, not just with the interception, but he was, he had his nose to the football a couple of times, stifling some plays by the Eagles. It could very well be Marcus Bailey, you know, like, and and Wilson only played, I think 20 snaps or just somewhere around there. So like neither that injury or the Darius Phillips injury was like officially reported during the game. So we have no idea 
when it happened. There was like one hit though, where Logan Wilson kind of led with led with his what led with his helmet, and he didn't like stay on the ground, or I don't I don't think he did. So it was never evident that he did actually suffer a concussion. But I mean, it's football; these things pop up without us noticing sometimes because these guys are just taking hit after hit after hit, and sometimes it just kind of catches up to you. So yeah, if Wilson can't go, like I, I'm looking it up right now, Jordan Evans has played one snap on defense at linebacker. He's really only there to play special teams. Yep. And if Wilson can't go, like they still need Davis Gaither to play on some of those passing downs on second along and third down. If if Wilson can't go, I think you inject Marcus Bailey, see what he's got. Like to have him take the role that Wilson was playing. Very similar athletes, guys that you can be trusted to do similar things in terms of coverage, be that hook uh curl zone player and just just stay in your run fits so i would be interested to see what he can do if wilson can't go um it is a concussion so we have no idea how long this is going to last and i don't think it's fair to just rush him back to this game if he's not ready but if he can't marcus bailey let's see what you got this game to me john seems like the perfect bounce back, get things right opportunity, feel good about your football team, feels like because, yes, they are favored and only by a field goal, but it feels like a game that they should win, especially even even if you want to take that tie as a minute baby step forward, you know, two losses, and you take a tiny, tiny step forward with a, with a tie, you got a winnable opponent coming to you uh what what does this game mean even though it's the jacksonville jaguars they're a one-win team to this point how important is this game not only for the morale and control of the locker room if you're zach taylor but just and the outlook of 2020 but just how important is this game for him given what's transpired over the past 19 well for starters i I would have to imagine that's exactly what the eagles thought last week (laughs) (laughs) because like that's just who the Bengals are right now they were Uh, the worst team in the nfl last year and they haven't won a single game this year so far like right now that they're they're in the basement they're they're at the bottom of the barrel everyone's looking at them like when we play the Bengals, this is our get right game so it's fair for the Bengals to look at the jaguars think that same thing because they're allowed to think that but at the same time the Bengals are are absolutely the other guy at the end at the other side of the equation so yeah it is an incredibly important game this is like i think next week they play the ravens who are going to be pissed after being being embarrassed by kansas city in prime time and they're still one of the best teams if not the best team in the nfl right now from just an overall macro standpoint they can't the Bengals have no chance against the ravens i think they play the titans a couple weeks after that they play the steelers a couple weeks after that they're, the schedule's only going to get tougher after this for the next month or so like this is the game that they need to win. They they need to win and they need to play well. Like it would be nice for them to get like the close win to get the monkey off the back, but they need to win by at least like ten points. I think to to establish that like there is some hope for growth this year because that's what this year was all about. It wasn't about making the playoffs, even though that was an irrational expectation by a lot of fans and a lot of listeners on the show. But like showing growth from last year, showing that. The, the process, the culture is, is working. It's building in the right direction. If they lose this game, it's going to be hard to see more than like two or three wins for the rest of the year. Yep. What's to me, I think, I, I think this is a game that where the key is the finding of at least some semblance of offensive balance. I know the Bengals are effective in scoring points with Joe Burrow throwing the ball 40 plus times. I know he's showing improvement from week to week. And I know he looks every bit of the part of a franchise quarterback, but to limit hits 
and to just find some semblance of balance and maybe get that deep ball going, maybe get a play action game going. I think this, this needs to be a game where the Bengals show balance. That's a key for me. What are, what are some keys for you in this game? If the Bengals want to come out on top? Well, again, like they only, they only really have to worry about Josh Allen from a pass protection standpoint. I know they have Clavion Chasen, who they just drafted in the first round. So he's going to be playing snaps across from Allen. And obviously, Chason and Burrow have a history both playing at LSU together. But there's an opportunity for the offense line to look to look better just because the competition is, is e- equally as bad for, for what they do. Um, they're not that much impressive in terms of run defense. They have guys like Josh Jones, DJ Hayden, who have been pretty decent from the, from you know, coming down downhill from the secondary. Miles Jack has played really well at linebacker. He's by far the best player on their entire team, and he's playing out of his mind, but he can't really do it all. Like, they don't have a lot of guys on the, on the defense line between Allen and Chase on. They have RB Jones and Ta- again, Tavion Bryan, Dave and ha- Davon Hamilton, uh, Adam Gostis. Like, just, just guys that are just, just generally unimpressive in terms of that front seven. That There's an opportunity for Joe Mixon to get something on the ground going, but this offense should score somewhere in the high 20s or maybe even 30 points like this defense just can't really do a lot to counter the weapons that the Bengals have and when Joe Burrow's playing like he has and he continues on this progression like he should have no problem scoring in the high 20s this game player for me to watch on the Jaguars is LaVisca Chenault I I liked him in the pre-draft process Pac-12 guy interesting player we'll see what what the Jags drop for him. Anybody in specifically you're watching, whether it's for Jacksonville or the Bengals this week? Yeah, I want to see how Jawan Taylor plays. He is the mm. right tackle drafted last year in the second round, a guy that the Bengals, I think, almost could have drafted in the second round before they traded down to get your sample. But he's playing pretty decently, I guess, in this second year. They still have Cam Robinson at left tackle. But, um, yeah, yeah. Taylor's going to face off against guys like Hubbard and Dunlap for the game. And I, I think both of those guys need a good game because neither of them have won consistently as pass rushers so far this season. And Taylor's been decent. But again, like this is an opportunity for both uh, Dunlap and, and Hubbard to get something going against a young tackle. Yeah, I saw Taylor got beat against uh, against Miami on Thursday night. He got beat for a sack once. But overall, you're right. He has been a pretty solid little right tackle for him. And I shouldn't say little because he's a big old boy. But yeah. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, good player to watch there and, and, and good point. So let's get a prediction and then we will drop the mic and get on out of here. I know you just love giving predictions, John. That is your <laughs> forte. What what do you what do you foresee happening this week when the Jaguars come to town and play the Cincinnati Bengals? Like last week I was when I was on the uh, the, the Eagles podcast coming up prediction out, I was pretty confident that they were going to hit the over. And I just probably shouldn't do that at all for any Bengals games. I think the over under is 47 and a half, which is pretty low considering how most games in the NFL have gone this year. But the Bengals are still favored. And I think they're favored for a reason. I, I think a 20, a 27, 19 Bengals victory sounds pretty good. Eight points still one score, but it, it feels like a little bit more. I mean, barely, I mean, barely. Yeah. <laughs> Fairly. Okay. So you have 20, 27, 19. Is that what you said? Yeah. Okay. I, I think it's, I think it's going to be a little bit beyond a a one score game. I think this has Joe Burrow's first win as a pro written all over it. And I have 31, 20 Bengals. I think the Bengals give up a little bit of points, but I think some of that, you know, they shoot out to a lead hopefully early and they're able to find that balance that I spoke of in the run game and in the passing game where they can limit some of the hits on Burrow. 
my gosh, he's been hit a lot. So I think 31-20 Bengals this week. We'll see what happens. And you can join us on the pregame show by Narragansett Beer. John, myself, and Matt Minnick, an hour before kickoff, join us. We have a little fun. We talk about the game. We talk about our tailgating rituals we talk we have some guests we have all kinds of we have giveaways so join us it's a fun time john let's drop the mic and get out of here what do you got for us a couple weeks ago i should have given this shout out earlier um i went over to my grandma's house who actually lives about a mile away from my apartment it's one of the perks of living in this part of cincinnati and while i was over there she said yeah i was looking through my stuff in, in my basement and I, I found something that i think you might like in your new apartment I don't know how old these oh, wow. glasses are, but I I freaking love them. You know, wow. like I, I like I love like the Bengal the striped helmet, but I, I do have I do think that this is that aesthetically looks pretty good on this glass. I have like six of these that my grandma had in her basement. Nice. Like that, like she bought them. I, I think her and my grandpa bought them like back in the seventies when they first came out. Um, for people who know, like my grandpa had season tickets for the Bengals. Uh, when they first started playing in Nippert Stadium, he had him all the way up until he passed away in 2012. And me and my dad used the season tickets to go to basically every home game from like 2005 to 2012 uh, or 2011 before he passed. So uh, my grandpa was a big Bengals fan. He was obviously a pessimist because that's kind of who he was and the Bengals were the Bengals. But um, <laughs> easy yeah. to be that way. Yeah. So shout out, shout out to, shout out to Grandma Sheeran. And also, I saw her today. And that's why I, I thought of her. I, I saw her today and she gave me even more stuff my apartment and <laughs> she called me like about an hour before i went over there and she was she was um talking to me about the reds game and, and talking to me about the Bengals game and she said yeah that, that she that that guy who hit burrow like he should be ejected like i don't know why he was doing that and malik jackson i know you're watching this and shame on you if you piss off my grandma <laughs> yeah that was whoo that was a vicious hit that was a vicious hit i guess are those technically are those little uh bourbon tumblers or they stemless wine glasses or maybe you could use both or i think someone said that they're technically wine glasses but i'm i'm not that much of a wine drinker beer's going at this okay i was gonna say that that looks like a good seltzer chalice for you my friend uh you know me so well (laughs) well that's cool i'm envious those things are awesome those things are awesome um you know i i did so much show prep i don't know if i really have a true mic drop uh just that I, we've we've seen this show grow quite a bit and it's uh you know it's been because of your efforts john it's also just been you know bringing in some great talent outside with ace and zim and matt um and so i'm i'm just grateful for it and i know we haven't had a special guest like we had on the regular in spring and summer but um you know we're still getting a lot of uh, a lot of interaction a lot of views and stuff and i just i guess i want to take this opportunity to express my gratitude to the listeners as always it's always so flattering that everybody joins us live listens to us after the fact and um you know just i'm appreciative i'm appreciative and i think i can speak for for my co-host on that one so thanks everybody for for tuning in yeah i mean Guys, like Anthony runs the show here. Like I'm just along for the ride. Every, everything, the quality of the show is not the same if if Anthony doesn't put in the work that he does every single week. The growth of it is mainly attributed to him. The constant work that he's been putting in, even with some restrictions that aren't exactly public with, with him and his involvement with the site. So, Anthony, oh, wow, my throat's really dry right now. But uh, if I, if I can speak you, you, normally, you drink out of the the, the yeah. cup. <laughs> 
We always do this. We always get so sappy at the end. Of I the know. Show. I know. I know. I know. But it's uh, it's good. It's good. And I, I it's it's a two man deal, my friend. It's a two man deal for sure. And I wasn't uh, wasn't wasn't bringing it up to stroke the ego. I just wanted to say a little yeah, thanks yeah. to you, you and the listener and everything. You and the listeners, but the one listener. Uh, but yeah, thanks everybody. And we will see you Friday for listener questions live. We'll see you for the pregame show and the postgame show. So join us for all of it as the week rolls on and the Cincinnati Bengals host the Jacksonville Jaguars for week four. For John Sheeran, I'm Anthony Cazenza. Hopefully the Bengals get their first win this week. Lord knows they need it. We'll see you.